2: Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
2: On this episode, the occultic influences on Hollywood and the arts, films and television as propaganda, and the use of predictive programming in popular television shows.
1: A lot of the writers and people who work on The Simpsons uh, come out of Evergreen College. Now, if you look up the history of Evergreen College, it's a very well-connected deep state cia connected school so my suspicion is that there is a kind of network or club that does relay to the people in the arts who are are, are big time culture drivers and certainly the, you know, the, the people who produce the simpsons would, would qualify as that and it is intentional
2: This podcast is brought to you by Bright Biz. If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit FreeBusinessToolbox.com to grab your copy. I know there are a lot of websites out there that offer you a special deal on something, but then they stick you in some recurring program. This isn't like that. Relax. There's no hidden thing to try. Bright Biz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting your best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com, freebusinesstoolbox.com, that's freebusinesstoolbox.com.
0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres, pursuing the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of her supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
2: Welcome to your Friday. Hey, don't forget towards the tail end of this episode, I'll draw the name of one lucky winner who will receive a copy of my Strange Planet... Volume 1 or 2 CD. If you want to get in on that draw, and I think we'll continue it for one more week, rate and review this podcast. Grab a screenshot of that. Email it to me at richardsarat one at gmail.com. Don't forget to include your full name and mailing address and then be listening Fridays when I reach into the ginormous novelty-sized jar of cheese puffs and pull out the name of one lucky winner. Hollywood under the spotlight, pun intended, on this episode. We have some uh, some of the movie channels here at the house, AMC and, and Turner Classic Movies. And so there's always an old movie running somewhere, sometime. And, and so I've been thinking a lot about the great researcher Jordan Maxwell, who I must get on the pro- podcast soon. Uh, Maxwell talks about the origin of the name Hollywood. Uh, Traditionally, the magician's wand, you know, like Merlin the magician from the Arthurian legends, the wand was fashioned from a holly branch. And so the name Hollywood. And the wand also used by conductors to conduct orchestras. But instead of conducting the orchestra, Hollywood, the wand is being used to direct the mind. And this is how films are used. Remember, Marshall McLuhan said the arts are controlled by secret societies. So it makes sense that films are encoded with certain memes and messages designed to control and manipulate the masses. Another guy who's really out front on this is Jay Dyer. He does a fantastic job analyzing Hollywood film discussing the symbolism encoded in film and and the occultic influences in Hollywood and things like predictive programming found in movies and in television series. Known for his in-depth commentary and celebrity impressions, Jay Dyer is the host of the Jay's Analysis podcast, Esoteric Hollywood. He's also a regular contributor to subjects as wide as satire, metaphysics, film analysis, theology, geopolitics, literature, and history, as well as interviewing numerous prominent figures. Jay has authored hundreds of articles already read by millions in just the past few years. He's also working with Jay Widener. On a new television series for Gaia based on this unique approach to film. He is the author of Esoteric Hollywood. Jay Dyer, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I had Roseanne Barr on uh, my radio program a couple of years ago and at that time she was doing this circuit and speaking out about Hollywood mind control. I don't know if you remember when she was talking about that in, in the media. What do you think she meant by that?
1: I do remember. In fact, I watched quite a few of those interviews, and I think she is absolutely correct. I think that most people probably aren't aware of a connection between the government's mind control programs, oftentimes called under the moniker MKUltra. They aren't aware of a connection between that and Hollywood, but it's flip sides of the same coin, just like the CIA is intimately tied into Hollywood So what she means by that is the idea of social engineering, not just on an individual level in the sense of, you know, like a born ultimatum or a born supremacy type mind control assassin. That's usually what we think of. That was an aspect to to MKUltra, but really MKUltra was about social engineering on a large scale. Uh, So, you know, dozens and dozens of programs, dozens of universities over several years and it ties directly into Hollywood, and so you see this pattern in so many films: the idea of not just the assassin, but also uh, of of you know occult symbology, uh, esoteric symbolism, uh, the CIA mind control uh, um, in the sense of secret societies. Uh, you know, this this aspect that she's hitting on is the root of Hollywood. Hollywood is, in a way, mind control and MK Ultra.
2: Yes, there is certainly the the, the large scale uh, when we're talking about propaganda and psyops and that. But what about getting back to the sort of the original uh, idea? You mentioned the born supremacy, uh, which you know we can talk about a little bit of predictive programming as far as that film goes too. But what about the idea of the individual in Hollywood as an MK Ultra victim? Because we see often yes there's there's a, a drug aspect to it and alcohol and so forth but we see a lot of erratic behavior sometimes almost i don't know it's unfathomable what what goes on there and i'm wondering to what extent there are individual mk ultra victims in hollywood for what purpose i don't know but what what are your thoughts
1: i think that is a reasonable suspicion a reasonable thesis um i don't i don't know for certain as to you know who i could tell you is definitely a victim per se but i think that a lot of the pop stars could fit that bill when you consider the fact that you know if we look all the way back to somebody like elvis you know elvis had a military handler who quite consciously put him on pills and drugs not just to mess with his mind but but so that he could be controlled you know in other words his handler kind of became his his uh You know, his drug supplier And once you're somebody's drug supplier You have a tremendous amount of control Over their lives, especially if they're addicts And So that's one way to look at this Is is just that pragmatic way Of controlling people Um, But I think that it's also reasonable To consider the possibility that For example, as I'll be discussing In my second book, Esoteric Hollywood 2 There are a lot of uh, A-list actors Back in the 50s Who were given LSD Before even the the counterculture troubadours like uh, Terrence McKenna or Timothy Leary. It was actually Cary Grant in the 50s who was doing LSD with a lot of the jet set before, you know, Hate ashbury or the Laurel Canyon scene had even come about. So what I'm getting at is that I I don't think that was accidental. I think that was intentional. I think people uh, who were connected to, you know, high-level government, rural society, Tavistock-type groups were giving test case, uh, LSD doses to a list actors like Cary Grant. Uh, now does that mean that he's completely a mind control, uh, victim? Well, maybe in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he's being, you know, the idea is what happens if we give a, an A-list actor this drug, what happens if, you know, we take Candy Jones and we, you know, send her on a USO tour, uh, while she's got a uh, multiple personality. Uh, you know, she's maybe Bob Hope is her handler, right? I mean, that, right. that's at least <laughs> right? So, so I think that yes, there there is precedent for what you are saying, and I think that um, there are. As, as time goes by, we learn more and more about this. You know, I only just learned about the the Cary Grant doing LSD before anybody else, you know, in the last uh, year or so.
2: Right. Well, yes, you you know, you you mentioned Timothy Leary, and there were LSD experiments at Harvard, of course, but also Princeton. Uh, But that was voluntary for the most part. and You had students who wanted to take part. But then you had, uh, you know, back in the 40s, uh, people like Frank Olson, who were – Dosed against their will, and right. and uh, so uh, the idea, though of of getting into the the star system and the price ultimately to be paid for that. Katy Perry, you point out on your your website, uh, jaysanalysis.com, dot com, the story there of Katy Perry saying, "I want in," basically to the Illuminati. I don't know how much of that was. Uh, her being sort of satirical and so forth, but the right. idea, the idea. Well, well, let me get your thought on that. What do you think? I mean,
1: uh, was
2: she being satirical or?
1: Uh, it could be. It could be on both levels. It could be satirical, tongue in cheek, and uh, somewhat serious as well. It could be a situation where she, you know, be, perhaps being traumatized, being uh, through trauma-based mind control herself, that she thinks that the only way. To find happiness in her life is, you know, to really to serve these people that, that are handling her, you know, her her agents and so forth. Uh, whatever secret she actually has, by the way, been inducted into different types of secret societies and she's uh, befriended certain witch coven's and so forth. So, what I'm getting at is that in my, her mind, it may be, you know, that she thinks that this is how she climbs the ladder. Uh, you know, this is this is how you get to the top. But it, it really does seem to require kind of giving away of your soul to to climb that kind of a ladder, and I even think that when we see people like Miley Cyrus or Katy Perry go through these different phases in their careers, they usually come to a kind of breakdown period. They kind of have a mental, you know, lapse and then breakdown around age thirty. We saw that with Britney Spears, yes, you know, with the uh, I do think that it's possible that this relates to. A kind of programming. It, we and is there any precedent for that? Well, I would say yeah. Uh, if you read, for example, Dave McGowan's book, he in both "Programmed to Kill" and in "Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon," inside Laurel Canyon, he talks about the different rehab centers being directly connected to the same psychiatric institutes that Dr. Ewan Cameron and Jose Delgado and the different MK Ultra doctors were involved in. There is a direct connect between. Uh, rehab centers and the MK Ultra doctors. So I think it's plausible at least that that uh, the the breakdowns that they have and they're kind of being trucked off to these these so-called rehab rehab centers it could uh, dra- relate directly to to MKUltra. And so I think Katy Perry's probably being honest and satirical at the same time. I mean, it's not like it's not like the the, the people that control Hollywood are not the exact same as You know, Adam Weishaupt's Bavarian Illuminati, which was French rationalism with Diderot and Voltaire, Uh, you know, you got something more hardcore with, you know, Kabbalism and Crowleyanism, which is very popular in Hollywood.
2: Right, right. to what extent is crowley's influence or even further someone like anton levey to what extent did they still have an influence
1: i would say pretty influential i i think uh, you know a lot of the older writings that levey put out in like the 70s were in many ways prophetic i think because he was connected to a lot of government people a lot of insiders a lot of cia Individuals, and that's how. For example, uh, I was just reading something from Levey in 1974 about a week ago, and he was talking about sex bots. In fact, in fact, hmm. Levey in 74 wow. said that the introduction of sex bots will be the norm in our time period. Amazing. So he was right. In, yeah, he was right in that regard. Um, he talked about Hollywood as the new Babylon. You know, as did Kenneth Anger, and of course, he's definitely you know a successor to the idea of Crowleyism. Uh, I would say it's very influential in a, in a kind of underground, subtle way, which at times bleeds forth. Because, for example, CBS is just now about to come out with a series, uh, "Strange Angel," and that's based on Crowley and Jack Parsons. So they're actually making a television show on CBS about uh, Jack Parsons, the you know, the rocket scientist, the founder of the JPL lab, uh, and uh, and Aleister Crowley. So. So there's the proof for uh, you know esoteric Hollywood. <laughs> I've been writing about it for a long time. A lot of people were very skeptical. Oh, that's not in Hollywood. It's not a- Hollywood's not about cults and mind control and Crowley. And oh well, here's a giant you know big production TV show they're about to do.
2: Right, um, the Harvey Weinstein flap. I mean, obviously, if, if if true, and I have no reason to doubt, is 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 horrible. But to what extent do you think that that is almost? A distraction and a cover for a far greater uh, sin going on in Hollywood, and that is 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 pedophilia.
1: Uh, it is, in fact. I I think I had a video kind of giving the roughly that very analysis. I said something to the effect of, "It's it's unfortunate that the idea of the casting couch is somehow given all of this media attention when everybody knows that the casting couch has been." the case since the beginning of hollywood i mean right right you have to be a complete idiot not to know that you know a, a lot of leading ladies slept their way to the top i mean marilyn monroe used to joke about it. sure you know having to do this so yeah i think you're you're on that uh, it's almost like it was maybe deflected by pr companies to focus on uh you know harvey weinstein's rape situation or allegations um and it also i think was deflected into feminism right it became a thing of oh it's me too this hashtag and women saying that oh uh somebody grabbed my butt one time and you know i'm not saying that uh you, sh- you should have your butt grabbed but uh but that's certainly less serious than the uh the situation that you're talking about which you know a lot of documentaries and Exposés have dealt with, which is pedophilia. You know, Corey Feldman's talked about it. You have Open Secret, the 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 documentary that covered it. Uh, You know, that's a much more serious concern, um, and it's been going on for a long time. And I think, yeah, it's deflected and it's covered up by these, you know, lesser. Much lesser, much less gravity situation.
2: Uh, right. right? But yet still, yes, we have these documentaries. Uh, but it hasn't broken through in the North American scene in terms of media coverage the way, for example, the Jimmy Savile case in 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 England did. Right. What is what is it? What's preventing that? I guess that's somewhat of a rhetorical question. But what's preventing it from breaking through? And what is it going to take? Uh, you know, do we need a special counsel like a Robert Mueller to investigate something from the Department of Justice to investigate Hollywood?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I don't know what it would take to to. I think, and unfortunately, and I don't want to be too negative, but unfortunately, the the culture has been degraded pretty far. And when you get to a certain level of degradation and desensitization it's almost like the next kind of scandal will almost normalize it. So I'm not saying it should be covered up. I'm not saying anybody should be should get away with it. But uh, I don't know if there is a, a system-based way to actually solve that kind of a problem, just because the decades and decades of psychological warfare and social engineering has so degraded people in a, in a general sense that I think it would be very difficult through normal channels to, to try to fix that problem. But uh, I think that Anytime somebody does try to, to step up and do something like make a documentary or call attention to it, or you know if, whatever you think about Corey Feldman, I, I tend to think that Corey Feldman was telling the truth. He seems to have been vindicated in most of what he talked about. They are kind of made fun of, or kind of uh, they're they're sort of turned into a clown show by the media on purpose to to cover it up. Uh, and so you know, as long as the media and the establishment is going to cover it up. It's going to take. It's going to take a lot. I don't know what. I mean. I, I kind of whatever you think of Trump, I kind of hoped, or at least had my fingers crossed, that uh, Trump would call attention to this. He, he talked about it a little bit. There was there was discussion of you know busting up uh, uh, trafficking networks and so forth, and there has been some of that. But uh, you know, is, is Hollywood too powerful? Or are people too entrenched? to to really bust any
2: of that up. Oh, I, I agree. I think if there's anyone it would be a disruptor like him. He's he's almost reckless uh in that right. regard, which is what is what is exactly required at this yeah. point in history is someone with that kind of recklessness. Um yeah, let's let's hope so. I mean, where is where is the Me Too campaign for people like Corey Feldman or his yep. his right. his late friend Corey Haim, who obviously had huge drug and alcohol problems, but apparently was also a victim, which may have led directly to his drug and alcohol problems, that he was uh, a victim. So, yeah, where is their bloody Me Too campaign? But how, how high up does it go in Hollywood? That's the big question.
1: Well, you know, from all the people who are whistleblowers and who do... Say that this has happened. It, it they believe that, or say that it goes to the highest levels. Uh, you know who that is is still nobody knows. That's that's been kept under wraps, so I, I can't speculate on who. But uh, you know there are there are people who've written about older stories and scenarios where this happened. You know you have the cases I think of the mamas and the papas. You have yes, the, which is mu- music in, music industry, but still relevant to to Hollywood because it was the Laurel Canyon scene. Um, so plenty of cases of that in in the past, uh, you know, biographies of people saying that they were molested. So you know, and then then they have the problem of something, you know, if it's decades later, how exactly do you prove it? But <laughs> makes it much more difficult to prove. Right. Um, but but yeah, I you know most most people who write on this, most people who've written books on the subject of like the Franklin cover up or as you mentioned Savile, it, it seems to pretty clearly go up to the highest levels of power.
2: And, and how, what is the connection, if if there is one, between these pedophile rings in Hollywood and the influence of, let's say, the Church of Satan or someone like Crowley, who is famous for saying that, uh, that uh, ordinary morals are for ordinary people or ordinary men. In other words, you know, we are gods, we can do whatever we want.
1: Yeah, I think with with LeVay, you have uh, in the Church of Satan, you have something that's much more kind of consciously theatrical and atheistic. Um, I don't I mean, I'm sure that you could find different people in those circles who were involved in that kind of stuff. But I think that, you know, with the Crowleyan type stuff, it's much more um, much more overt because. There is a, a belief in the reality of defiling of the innocent. Uh, now, I, I understand that that's somewhat part of the the levay type view, but uh, it seems to be a little more serious, I guess you could say, in the Curlian type perspective of of uh, the belief in the power that's gained through uh, defiling innocence in certain situations. Uh, so, I would say, yeah, I think that uh, uh, the idea that you can become your own god apotheosis which is kind of the the root of that system uh you know your your own will um dominating master slave type uh worldview it's a it's a very nietzschean type worldview i would would say that yeah that absolutely contributes to the idea that uh you know i can do whatever i want if i can get away with it and because because there's nothing objectively wrong they're they're essentially moral subjective uh systems
2: how do you feel? In contrast, we have the emergence uh, uh, of these Christian films that are doing relatively good numbers at the box office. Uh, how do how do you how do you see that uh, developing?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting development uh, that I guess you could see in a way parallel to the election of Trump. I mean, you, you know, you have the, kind of the two coasts uh, very very different and divorced from the mindset of the flyover country of, you know, the rest of America, which tends to be more conservative and to have a little more, um, reservation about morals and, you know, to not be so, so extreme. Um, and I see it's, it's, it's the, it's similar to, um, to, well, I don't want to get necessarily too political, but, um, I, I think, yeah, I think there's a definite connection between these two realms. And I think, uh, like Kevin Sorbo, he's had a lot of success with his, uh, with his films and his company. God's not uh, dead. Yeah. Right. Right. And I did see those. I didn't think they were, I think that, you know, that sometimes the, they're a little bit cheesy, but I think overall the message is good. I, I thought, uh, the Ben Stein documentary, uh, which is not explicitly Christian per se, but, uh, in the same vein of uh, you know critiquing the sort of uh, radical Darwinian perspective, uh, I thought his, his uh, documentary was good. I think we're going to see more of that and you know with the with the ease of attaining different types of media through the internet, uh, I think that there's going to be a lot more competition. So in other words, the, the traditional studio system is going to be dead. Uh, you know, basically Disney's buying all that anyway. So you're going to have Disney and you're going to have people offering a lot of different streaming options for content. And I think that because you do have a lot of religiously religious minded people, you know, they're going to be looking for that kind of content. And a lot of people are already, you know, trying to step into those markets. And I think that's a good thing. I think we need more competition against these, you know, monolithic, uh, older older models, legacy model studio systems.
2: Uh, yeah, in many ways, this is, seems to be the front line in, in the culture
1: war. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: I'll get back to this fascinating discussion with the brilliant Jay Dyer in just a moment. I want to speak to all of the dog owners out there. Raise your hand if you'd like to have the obedient, well-behaved, loving dog of your dreams. Okay, then listen to this. How would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence and eliminate bad behavior once and for all? Well, a woman named Adrienne Ferracelli is a professional certified dog trainer, and she's helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside all dogs. And you can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Our brains are capable of learning new behaviors because of this neuroplasticity. Well, your dog's brain has the same plasticity, and with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. And when this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com That's realbusinessbargains.com realbusinessbargains.com
0: Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. (laughs) Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
2: Jay Dyer is uh, with us. Jay'sAnalysis.com Jay'sAnalysis.com Terrific website. Um, Let's talk a little bit about when you unpack a movie and you and you look for the the symbolism, and I think it was Marshall McLuhan who said something like, "We lie to each other on through television, and we tell each other the truth through film," or something like. Mm. That. This, I don't know if that sounds if if that's familiar to you or if I have that right, but it's it's stuck in my head over the years. And I think it was McLuhan. It's interesting, you know, in in, in Hollywood, you have films like from guys like Oliver Stone, who's kind of an outsider to a certain extent, right. makes a movie like JFK, which I don't think could be made today. How do you feel about that?
1: No, in fact, uh, I'm a big fan of Oliver Stone. Um, I was honored to be alongside him in a uh, recent uh, Sean Stone production uh, about Hollywood called Hollywood DC, which ran on RT, a very good documentary, which you can find on YouTube. And I think Oliver made some really poignant points in that documentary about where he's seen Hollywood go over the years. Uh, I think he's spot on to to note the insider connection of the Pentagon, uh, which he has known about for a long time. But of course, you know that's something I didn't really catch on to until you know I went to college and, and sort of studied that 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 topic. But um, I think that the, the the way that we the way that we see culture being driven is not through the means that most people think most people think of culture being driven through you know organic artists spring up and they they put their music out there they put their message out there their book out there and it just happens to catch on and really it's not that way at all Uh, stars are created stars are are essentially products that have a whole lot of money put into them over several decades uh, and they're created for a reason and so you know the arts all the way back to Plato, something I discuss in my book, have always been tools of propaganda, tools of the state, tools of telling the state's narrative in many ways. Um, and in our day, of course, we live under a kind of corporate state. And that's why you'll see somebody like Katy Perry. Uh, if you remember one of her videos uh, a few years ago, I forget the name of it, but the whole video was, was essentially a military recruitment ad. It was her joining, she, her boyfriend leaves her, and she joins the military. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of ludicrous, but uh, you know, unless you're really committed to to fighting, uh, you know, America's wars for Halliburton and you know to make sure that Iraq can get a subway or a McDonald's, you know, <laughs> you know there's not really any any reason to fight these wars anymore. Uh, and that's really something that that you know Oliver Stone picked up on a long time ago. That's why he was making these anti-war films a long time ago. And I think he that's that really hits the nail on the head that's the essence of it all is that we're really serving a system that is is not beneficial and does not give us the things that it promises you know we're, we're serving this sort of Pax Americana that, that really has no connection to what most people think America is and what it represents and it's gotten even worse you know in the last uh, you know several decades since since Oliver Stone was making his films and you know the high, high points like JFK you know he, I think in, in what's interesting about Stone's films is that he really kind of hits these high points of the turning in American culture you know he, he if you, we can't forget The Doors either The Doors was was central to this turning point in American culture because they represent the Laurel Canyon scene yes you know if, if, you've, if you've read Dave's books and you know Oliver Stone was cognizant of the fact that there was this backdoor occult connection with with uh With Jim Morrison, because there's that scene in the movie where he undergoes that uh, ritual initiation with that witch girlfriend that he has.
2: Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) And so, you know, the more that I think about Oliver Stone's films, you know, he really does pack the whole message into the totality of his of his corpus. Uh, You know, another analogy that I make throughout my book is to the mob. And if you if you understand different mobs and, and how the mafia works, you can really understand a big part of how america and the world works in geopolitics and now that i think about it if you go back and watch something like scarface that's really what that movie is about it's about him coming to america thinking that he can achieve the american dream and then he finds out the american dream is really just becoming a drug lord (laughs) uh and it and it ruins him right and but it ruins him because he isn't willing to go all the way to killing children and that's the point of that. You know, Tony, right, Tony Montana right. gets killed because the the serious drug lords, you know, mandate that he kill uh, some UN guy and his. And his that's right. Child.
2: Even a line he won't cross.
1: Exactly, and and so the the degradation is, is even darker than somebody like Tony Montana knew. Uh, and I think that's that was the point Oliver Stone was trying to make. It's the same point he tries to make in Wall Street. You know, here's a middle class guy thinking that the American dream is to become the the Michael Douglas character Gordon Gecko and Gordon Gecko is just a ruthless you know viper who's going to screw over the entire middle class that Bud, the Charlie Sheen character represents so you know anyway I I think yeah I think you're right to look at somebody like well Oliver Stone as an outsider who's been telling the truth the entire time if we had eyes to see and paid attention
2: the the flip side of Oliver Oliver Stone's JFK would be something like Tom Hanks uh, Reclaiming History or what do they call it? Reclaiming, yeah, Reclaiming History. That was a Bugliosi book. Uh, yeah. and, you know, we often think of Tom Hanks as maybe the best that America has to offer. He's the boy next door. He's kind of our generation's Jimmy Stewart. Uh, he came to Hollywood as kind of an outsider, but he seems now to be the ultimate insider in terms of pumping out this propaganda. There was the, the the, uh, the you know, the Reclaiming History series. There was the, um, what was the movie about the Pentagon Papers? Uh, the paper. Just a piece of crap, I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's propaganda. It's yeah. The, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not a Soviet or, or a communist, but uh, once you kind of understand the dialectics of the Cold War, which I think I do have some degree of understanding of, I'm not as... Uh, hyped up about you know the cia's exploits of the in the cold War as i used to be maybe when i was younger and kind of believed you know that the which is really just a cia narrative anyway but it was tom hanks that was in that um, uh bridge of spies you know that was another another example of, of the propaganda that you're talking about
2: yeah myth making
1: which was which was really just to regurgitate you know uh anti-russian sentiment which you know this is something that hollywood has really been hyping up for uh, the last few years, uh, I, I covered the film Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence as a the most recent instantiation of this kind of <clears throat> hyping up the Russia tension, Russo, uh, Russophobia nonsense, um, and yeah, Tom Hanks definitely plays a big role in that because he's he's been in a lot of those kinds of films. In fact, that was just uh, looking the other day uh, at. A kind of forgotten, obscure Tom Hanks film. Get this, check this out. Did you ever see Volunteers with him and John Candy?
2: I remember that. I Two Dollar Tuesdays back in the mid '80s at the yep. Odeon Theater. Yes, I remember <laughs> that. I remember well, that. Well,
1: what's what's neat about that is is he plays a young, uh, I think Yale. He's like a Yale yuppie, uh, upper class grad. Who sort of fumbles his way into I think the Red Cross accidentally, and he learns that guess what it's a CIA cover, and then he finds out that his the CIA handler that is setting that is running this Red Cross operation uh, is there to deal with the the uh, Golden Triangle uh, drug smuggling.
2: That's right. So
1: here yeah. you have this, go- this goofy comedy that's basically showing <laughs> that uh, that the, the CIA is running the drugs. And lo and behold, Tom Hanks is kind of playing the, you know, subtle skull and bones Yale grad. Uh, right. I think ball. it
2: was. I think it, it was, was the, the Peace Corps. Corps. I think it was the Peace That's Corps. That's it.
1: That's the Peace Corps. You're right.
2: Yeah. So what happened to Tom Hanks? What? Who got to him?
1: Well, I think that what happens is that there's kind of a an understanding about uh, you know when when people rise in the ranks of popularity and fame that. You know, if you don't go along with the plan, basically you're just not going to get the big deals. And in order to get the big deals, the big concerts, you know, to have the Fortune 100 behind you for, you know, to be a Katy Perry or a Lady Gaga or whoever, you you've got to go along with the plan. And the plan is 100% coordinated across these these giant mega corporations, and that's very transparent. It's very easy to see this. It's it's amazing that more people don't see it, but you know, Pepsi is going to promote the same thing that Monsanto is going to promote, which is the same thing that the Pentagon is going to promote, which is the same thing that Bayer is going to promote. Uh, and, it's, and it's global. Uh, and so there's the proof of the global plan right there.
2: Right. Uh, you, you talk about the 2015 movie, The Martian. You say it's doc, a documentary. What do you mean by that?
1: Oh, <laughs> that was more of a satire piece. Um, some, sometimes the movie reviews that I do are, are somewhat satirical, especially if I don't like a movie, I'll write something that I think is, is pretty ridiculous, and and in the uh, I just really I, I, I like older Ridley Scott films, um, you know, something like the Alien series, or obviously Blade Runner, uh, but I really just thought The Martian was terrible it was r- r- ridiculous, it was stupid uh, you know, and whatever you think of the moon landing, I, I, I thought that this was almost kind of like a mocking of uh, uh, of the moon landing but transferred to Mars because it, it almost reminded me of a, a, an attempt at a serious version of Capricorn 1. Oh yes, it's
2: like, yes.
1: It's, it's like I feel like I'm being insulted if I'm expected to believe that that you know Matt Damon's growing potatoes on Mars through, <laughs> um, and he's basically using duct, I'm not kidding, like duct tape and tarps to to get his ship off of Mars. It was just preposterous. Hmm. And I uh, well, this is actually pretty close to, you know, the real story of, you know, astronauts playing golf on the moon or something. It was ridiculous, too.
2: Right. No, I wasn't sure maybe if you were pointing out a, a, this is an example of some sort of predictive programming that we're already well, on suppose, Mars. Like, or,
1: could yeah. it be? Yeah. Uh, well, you, well uh, I do think, yeah, there is there is a space program that's, that's covert. Yes. Uh, it, 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 there is a very advanced, obviously, aerospace technology that is kept uh, secret. Uh, but my view is that the, the the real space program is something covert. We aren't really told much about it. We have to do a lot of speculation. Uh, I think that things like SETI probably dealt with um, the erection of large-scale surveillance. Uh, I don't think that it was—I re- think that the alien stuff was probably a cover. And that really what they were doing was the same thing where they were doing with number stations during the Cold War, which is basically setting up a giant global surveillance grid. That's my theory. Interesting.
2: It, oh, I'd not heard that before. <laughs> wow.
1: It's just a, a theory that I'm sort of tossed around. I can't uh, give you 100% proof of that, but uh, just my speculation. But um, and, and the reason I say that is, well, what would they be more interested in, sending ET an email or having a giant global NSA that can track everybody's
2: well, it makes a great deal of sense because I mean how long has that been around 40 years what do they have to show for it on the alien front one supposed Wow signal which has been debunked right. uh, so you know why would they keep that thing running it's certainly they're not looking for aliens you're definitely on right. something there
1: I, I don't think so yeah so but that's just that's just pragmatic speculation I, I don't have like a document you know that proves that or something Uh. Explain how
2: predictive programming works. What what that term means actually? What does it mean?
1: Uh, I'm not sure who first came up with the term. Probably somebody like Alan Watt, you know, who's mm-hmm. a long time sort of uh, geopolitical conspiracy researcher. He probably first coined the term. But the idea is really just similar to what you see in advertising, or what actually comes out of wartime psychological warfare. And uh, you know, this has been studied to the nth degree. Um, you know, something that I focused on in college was looking at the, the connections between, uh, filmmaking and, and propaganda films. And a lot of the people, for example, from the OSS were people from the advertising world. Uh, and they were also people who went into television. So you have kind of the combination of, uh, Madison Avenue, uh, PR companies, and, you know, the original people in like RKO and CBS pictures and so and so forth, they were all out of wartime psychological warfare operations. And I think what that suggests is that all of these three realms coalesce into uh, the same basic approach to manipulating the human mind and human behavior. And so predictive programming is just one aspect of how this could be done through uh, either fiction stories or through uh, movies essentially most of the time but also artwork uh, uh, it could be album artwork it could be music at times and the idea is to basically suggest ahead of time what you're going to do so a lot of people liken it to something like gaslighting if you've ever seen the old George Cukor film with Ingrid Bergman gaslight this is the same idea where you kind of uh, say ahead of time what you're going to do and and the audacity of that uh, and the seeming projection of power in that you are in a way kind of predicting the future. Right. <laughs> it's because, right. of course, you're bringing about that future that you're predicting. I kind of uh, it, it, it functions on many levels. So it, it, it softens the public up. It, it gets people prepared for it. So you're watching Minority Report in 2001, I think, 2002, somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, Spielberg is showing you the idea of uh, predictive algorithm crime tracking. And then, you know, 20 15, 20 years later, you have the CEO of IBM, Jenny Romney, saying when when we erect the, the smart cities, they're going to have pre crime. <laughs> so right, right. this suggests yeah. this suggests that uh, Jenny Romney doesn't have a crystal ball. It suggests that you know, this was known to to be uh, implemented a long time ago. Uh, and great examples of this would be the writings of H.G. Wells. You know, H.G. Wells in Shape of Things to Come. He wrote that, I believe, in 1936, and he predicted World War II uh, one year off. He was one year off hmm. as to when World War II would happen. Right. Which is quite phenomenal.
2: Some of the, the really creepy examples of predictive programming. So, for example, in American Dad, where in one episode they. Um, I've read about it, I haven't seen the episode, but they, they, they predict the the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, yeah. I mean, how how does that work? How does that happen?
1: That's a good question that I don't think anybody has exactly pinned down, but, but my suspicion is this, and some of this I can verify, but uh, if you take, for example, The Simpsons, which have had uh, a number of similar examples of what you're talking about, A lot of the writers and people who work on The Simpsons uh, come out of a certain school, for example, uh, Evergreen College. Now, if you look up the history of Evergreen College, it's a very well-connected, deep-state, CIA-connected school. So my suspicion is that there is a kind of network or club or, or group that does relay... Uh, to the people in the arts, who are are, are big time culture drivers, and certainly the, you know, the the people who produced The Simpsons would would qualify as that. Uh, and and it is intentional. Uh, I mean, I, there are too many examples of you know, such striking predictions for that to be coincidence. I mean, it's just it's just impossible. Uh, and so my thesis is just simply what we look at where these people went to school, which is how people network in the modern world. You know, what university you went to, uh, you know, we we see schools that are quite clearly CIA recruitment schools. And the CIA is not, you know, Cold War James Bond stuff. It's culture creation. That's what they do.
2: Right. They're they're, they're fighting for the hearts and minds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's done through culture. That's why we see, you know, the Pentagon putting money into TV shows like Cupcake Wars. Right. Quite literally.
2: Really? I wasn't aware of that.
1: Yeah, this was obtained, uh, at the WikiLeaks actually tweeted this out. Uh, the documents are real, but uh, it was obtained through a FOIA request, uh, and they looked into the what television shows that the Pentagon had, had uh, recently put money into, in, I think two thousand well, in the last few years, basically. Uh, and it was numerous TV shows, and even ones that you wouldn't expect, like Cupcake Wars, and you say, well, why would... Why would the Pentagon or the CIA be interested in cupcake wars? And then when you realize that that's what the CIA and the Pentagon do is culture creation, it starts to make sense. Food is a huge part of culture.
2: Sure, sure. But what, what memes or, I mean, what are they imparting in that, in that TV show? Aside from making cupcakes, That is going to, to change culture.
1: Uh, if I recall in that specific example, it was something related to uh, uh, positive uh, military uh, recruitment. So, I, so, that, so they probably had a character written in that was, you know, uh, a veteran or, or somebody who was there to, you know, just promote recruitment. Now, you know, a lot of times it's that kind of a thing. So, for example, in the 80s, Reagan actually allocated quite a bit of money not just to building up America's defenses, but to uh, promoting this in Hollywood. And so there was a lot of money put into films like Top Gun, right? This is another one of these, roughly speaking, recruitment films. Uh, And it it worked. Uh, A lot of people in the 80s, I have family members who were very influenced by something goofy like Top Gun. And they felt like, oh, I need to join the military, right? Um, So a lot of times it's that kind of stuff. But I also... Go further than some researchers, and I say Des, sometimes it's consciously, you know, occultic type stuff, and it's consciously relating to large scale ritual events like 9 11.
2: Right, right. We have, um, uh, what was that TV show? It was a spin off of The X Files, um, the lone, the lone Gunman. The Lone Gunman, yes. Now that was, um, an episode that came out like six months before the actual nine eleven attacks. And it was an right. episode featuring hijacked planes attempting to crash into the World Trade Center tower. I mean, you can't get any more specific uh, than that.
1: Yeah. and now, now, people say, again, if somebody's skeptical, uh, you know, I, I wrote about this in my book, uh, but I'm not the only person to write about this. In fact, there have been quite a few academics who have written on this topic uh, Elliot Gaines, who's a professor, I think at Wright University. He's a famous semiotician, and semiotics is the study of signs and symbols. Well, he wrote a famous uh, essay about Independence Day and nine eleven because he noticed, uh, again, not a conspiracy theorist, just an academic. He, he started realizing that there was a lot of imagery in films prior to nine eleven that had this very suggestive nine eleven ish. Look to it like giant towers being <laughs> exploded and collapsing uh you know and and the idea of the external threat and so forth, which use oftentimes signifies in psychological warfare uh just the enemy so for example, um I've cited exam uh, instances where in the cold war uh there was a lot of uh, there were there, you would have examples well take uh twilight Zone, right there are there are episodes of the twilight zone which in the credits are listed as uh, in made in consultation with the department of defense and you say why would twilight zone episodes be made you know aided by the DOD right well when you think about the specific episodes usually the storyline was the the alien threat is something that military persons or personnel overcome and it's not about ufos the alien is a representation a representation of the the foreign enemy Sure, sure so what so what they're doing there is not necessarily i mean they could be prepping people for some you know alien scenario or something but in a more basic psychological warfare sense what they're doing is just associating in the viewership's mind the connection between an alien threat and the good guy's military saving us in some way that's just a very basic psychological warfare approach. But when you, when you start to watch old 50s and 60s shows, you see it very clearly. You know, James Bond is a, a perfect example of this in the Cold War. You know, Fleming Fleming was very adept at this.
2: Sure. Well, um, he was MI6, or was it MI5? MI6, I think, right, Fleming?
1: Well, uh, MI6, he was actually a high-level psychological warfare expert. So he was... Uh, he was a Royal Navy for a while. And then he kind of went into just straight up black ops and psyops. And so he was actually organizing uh, many foreign operations, which people didn't know this until uh, it's actually recent studies of Fleming that have come out that have demonstrated this. It it was, it was speculated for a long time that that's what he did. But uh, a lot of recent authors, authors like uh, Ted Cable and uh, McIntyre have actually demonstrated this in his, in his life um and which is interesting because if you read older biographies like there's a was a famous one by uh Lichett, andrew Leitchett, uh and it didn't mention this <laughs> so uh one wonders if his biography wasn't kind of covering this up for a while and then uh, more recent books have have exposed or i guess maybe it's declassified they don't really care people know that ian fleming was was doing some pretty high level black ops but um well, there but, is, yeah, it, it was foreign military uh, secret service, basically.
2: There is one theory that's out there. I'm sure you've heard it. It sounds pretty outlandish on the surface, but who knows, given recent uh, declassified documents about Hitler's fate after the war, that perhaps he survived and was spirited away to Argentina. Uh, and I've, I've read the theory, heard the theory that, that, um, uh, that Ian Fleming may have been involved in that operation.
1: Yes, that's interesting. Uh, I've heard different theories on this position. Some people think that the the idea of Hitler going to Argentina was actually uh, concocted by British intelligence, precisely for Cold War reasons. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not positive either. I could you know, I could see it going either way. Um, Fleming did seem to be consciously anti-German, so I don't. Th- I mean. Which it's weird because he had in his personal library uh, quite a few works on eugenics. Uh, and he did seem to be quite racial in many of the stories, but he also seems to be consciously pro-British, pro-West, pro-freedom, etc. So, uh, you know, he, he did hang around kind of the upper class elite noble circles quite a bit and, and you know, a lot of very wealthy friends so I would say he was a western man a a modern western man I don't think he was like secretly a Nazi or anything like that no no no. Uh, but but yeah I would not be surprised if he wasn't involved in something crazy like that precisely because his real life really is crazy
2: Uh, Jay when does Esoteric Hollywood uh, Volume 2 come out
1: I am basically done with the manuscript. Uh, I would say look for it probably to be available in a few months. So maybe, best case scenario, three to six months.
2: Can't wait. Uh, and the website again, com. Hey, I've really enjoyed this. Great meeting you. Great talking to you. Thank you for taking some time to talk to me.
1: Well, thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure. It was a really good chat. I, I, I love the conversations that where we can... You know, really cover a lot of different ground and not and not get stuck on like one topic. And uh, you're you're really good at uh, taking us uh, all over the chessboard.
2: Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Take care. All right, thank you. Thanks, Jay. I'm going to have him on again. He's terrific. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, we have our weekly draw, of course, coming up, and I'll tell you about episode. Sixty-eight, which drops monday but first i keep talking about life extensions mega green tea extract because i believe in it and i want the whole world to know about it life extensions mega green tea extract provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body it contains health promoting polyphenols including a powerful antioxidant which has been the subject of extensive scientific research Why don't you pour on these multiple health benefits for yourself? Green tea supports cell membrane integrity, boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol, LDL and triglyceride levels, and much more. Life Extensions Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, and yet, it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. And the Chinese have used green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC. More recently, volumes of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits one capsule a day is all you need give your body what it needs order right now from life extension and save 25% just go to smartclickidea.com that's smartclickidea.com smartclickidea.com all right let's reach into the jar all right and it is Peter Miller of Spokane Washington Congratulations, I'll send out a copy of Volume 1 and 2 of Strange Planet. I'll drop that in the post as soon as possible. Again, if you want to get in on the contest, just rate and review the podcast, grab a screenshot of that, email it to me at richardserat1 at gmail.com. Coming up on Episode 68, Dave Brody on Pre-Columbian North America and the Lost History of the Giants. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now